Hey, it's Brittany. 1.19 p.m. on Sunday. I workshopped yesterday, and my workshop could not have gone worse. It was awful. I'm not even sure if I'm going to send this in to you. No, this writing game isn't always smooth sailing. But first, Happy New Year! Welcome to 2017. I'm Ben Hess. This is Story Geometry, the podcast about the craft and community of writing and storytelling. Today's theme is Workshop Diaries and provides first-person accounts from two writers navigating the annual Writing by Writers Workshop in Tamales Bay, California, and perspectives on writing and teaching from award-winning faculty Andre Debuse III, the writer with a tough workshop who also happens to be a published novelist and a fellowship winner, Well, here she is. Hi, I'm Brittany Erickson Tuttle, and I'm a writer, and I currently work in the film industry here in New Mexico, and I have two children, and I've been a lot of things along the way, including a librarian, a teacher, and a barista. That's a great combination. (laughs) (laughs) Brittany and I first met at the 2016 Writing by Writers Generative Workshop in Boulder, Colorado. And guess what? You can win free tuition to the 2017 edition. All you have to do is compete in their short, short writing contest and then, you know, be one of the winners. Your 300-word submission is due February 1st. So go to wxw.submittable.com for the clever prompt and all the details. Why not take advantage of this creative writing challenge and have the chance to work with Pam Houston, Kimmy Dungy, and this episode's own Andre Debuse III. That's WXW. So back to workshop diaries. Compared to Brittany, our other 2016 Tamales Bay workshop attendee is in a very different place in his life. I'm Tony Pandola from Tahoe City, California originally, but I don't really live anywhere specifically at the moment. Quick production note, Tony's at a coffee shop, so you'll hear all sorts of cafe sounds in the background. For the last about three years, I spent half the year working and guiding in Cuba, based out of Havana. And then the other six or seven months a year, I'm just all over the American West, living out of the van, just kind of moment by moment and going wherever the, uh, <laughs> the wind takes me, really. Not many of us can claim that, spending half the year going wherever the wind takes us. Sounds incredibly romantic and idyllic. So light the fire, sit back with a warm beverage, snuggle under that blanket on the couch. Workshop Diaries with Tony, Brittany, and Andre is coming up. So stay with us. But first, today's episode is brought to you by Talking Book, the indie audiobook publisher. They're kicking off 2017 by offering Michael Bible's critically acclaimed novel, Sophia, recently reviewed on NPR Books. Visit talkingbook.pub to order the Sophia audiobook or for information on creating your own audiobook. My conversation with Cuban tour guide and writer Tony Pandola continues as our chapter one, Memoir in the Van. I had the great 
privilege of, of getting like the tour of the van last year, but for listeners who have never seen it, could you just give a description of your mobile home? Yeah, of course. It's a, it's a 1995 Toyota Previa. And if you don't remember Previas, they're basically the soccer mom van that looks like an egg. There's a bike on the roof and there's a nice comfortable bed inside. And what I consider the living room, the front porch, the kitchen, all of these things are uh, a little bit smaller than folks would be used to. It's not, it's not that big. It's, it's limited on space, but it's more than I need, really. And I've got pictures of Tony's 1995 Previa home on storygeometry.org, so stop by and check them out. Leading up to the annual Writing by Writers workshop in Tomales Bay, I'd sent both Brittany and Tony prompts and ideas of what to record over the four-day workshop weekend. But for Tony, things didn't go quite according to plan. My, my phone just like exploded yesterday. Actually, I had gotten caught out in the rain the other day, so the phone was barely hanging on. And then I got caught out in the rain again yesterday, and it was over. <laughs> so. so Tony and I chatted via Skype just a few days after the workshop with his reflections and thoughts fresh. I asked him what he was working on leading up to the conference and what he'd submitted to his workshop for review. I'm in my off-season right now, so I've actually had a lot of time to write and, you know, the last couple of years I've been working on a memoir that kind of involves just like living in the van, involves a lot of dealing with a lot of personal tragedy and trying to make sense out of things like that. And, and that work was getting really kind of really precious to me. And I just I was kind of paralyzed by wanting it to be perfect because it was so important to me. And I then shifted gears to, I was like, you know what? I really want to write a memoir about my time in Cuba. I've been there for a number of years, guiding educational tours. So I've been working on a memoir about that. And basically think the thought was, this isn't so precious to me that, you know, it'll just be like really nice practice to actually get a, get a large project done. I came in with, I've got a lot of work done on my four years in Cuba. And I was workshopping a piece from that and trying to get this sort of memoir of kind of all the changes that I'm observing, all the anecdotes and stories and lessons I've learned down there, just kind of through, through the eyes of a, of a foreigner who's not a tourist, you know what I mean? Absolutely. So day one of the workshop, Thursday was your first, I guess, three-hour session with Paul Lasicki, and so had you read The Narrow Door going into Tamales? No, this is another thing that... <laughs> that uh, typical of me. I mean, we, it was, it's so hard to get out of our own patterns. After last year, whoever I'm workshopping with next year, I'm going to read everything they have to offer, et cetera, et cetera. And then all of a sudden, next thing I knew, I was heading up to Tamales Bay and I hadn't, <laughs> I hadn't read anything from Paul. And uh, I, had, I had signed up for his workshop because it was the memoir workshop. Yeah, of course. And then friends of mine who were big readers were blown away. They're like, wait, you're going to actually like sit in a room with Paul Lasicki and talk about writing? It was cool because now I've met Paul, spent time with him, heard a lot of his thoughts. He did a reading from the narrow door, all the styles and tips and, and feedback that he was giving us in the group, I get to now explore it through his writing. So, so it all worked out just fine, but I had not read his stuff yet. When you're thinking about memoir in particular, did you automatically gravitate to that kind of first person storytelling? Personal experiences that I wanted to make sense out of is kind of what brought me to the page in the first place. And I've just kind of run with it. I feel super fortunate that my life, my real life is, you know, full of all these wonderful stories and, and experiences. And so sometimes I feel like I don't even have the bandwidth to tap into trying to write fiction or make stuff up when just my day-to-day -day seems so rich with, with all these uh, wonderful details and experiences and characters and challenges and tragedies, etc. Yeah. That Friday afternoon, there was, there was some scheduled alone time, own time to 
to do to do whatever the, the the workshop participant wanted to do. And I'm just curious how you decided after two days of workshop, you got a couple panels. Did you take that time to write, or did you get out and hike, or how did you use your time? I I joked uh, with with Pam and the fellow participants that I was talking to that I spent that time in the absolute like I I might as well have been the brochure for writing by writers Tamales Bay like I was a little torn I wanted to get writing done I was super inspired but it was such a beautiful day on such this beautiful property that I was like well I'll go for a walk I'm gonna go for a walk first because it would be a shame to waste this day so I go walking on some of the walking trails I'm looking down at Tamales Bay I'm looking through all like the wizard's beard lichen the way the sun hits it on the trees feeling the breeze, you know, breathing the air. It was just so wonderful outside. And then to the point where all of a sudden I just got inspired and I sat down on the trail, pulled out my notebook and I just like spewed out a piece that um, I was really proud of and really happy with. You know, there, there's free time throughout the week and you know, that was a large chunk, but then there's, you know, time to just chat with other writers to just, whether you're talking about writing or not, um, getting to know people, getting to know the community, and then also, you know, talking to just this super interesting group of people who all have something to say. Do you have publication aspirations with your memoir or with your with your own writing? I don't write to be published, I don't think. I think I write because I really love the reflection and the craft. Yet, that being said, um, I absolutely would love to get my work published. I would love to get my work to a, a point where in doing it, you're reaching out to, to people. You're reaching out to be, to be heard. Or I don't want to say to be heard. Like, I got something to say and everyone should listen up. More just like, just to share. You know, I live in the van, Ben. I have all these like incredible experiences just driving around and checking out the beautiful places in the country and talking to strangers and, and spending time alone and, and climbing mountains and having all these adventures that take me to these like to the brink of what I think is like the human experience. And like 90% of the time I'm alone. And that's fine as far as my experience goes, but I just like, I always have this thought in my head while I'm alone on some mountain peak watching the sunrise or something, I'm like, People need to know about this. <laughs> and I don't mean people need to know what I'm doing. Just people need to know this is out here. Yeah. You know, I picture like all the, you know, all this, the striving and struggle and, and just like uh, the rat race and all this stuff. And I just, I want to just let, I want it to be out there that there is another way to live your life, that there's all these beautiful experiences and the natural world is out there. And, you know, hey, when you talk to strangers and you be kind to people, like, I just want that out there in the world. So not just stuck in my head and in my stack of journals, you know. I mean, I'm thinking about the, uh, the listening audience. Maybe they've done a workshop before. Maybe they haven't. They're considering whether it's writing by writers or another one. I mean, what kind of uh, advice would you give uh, an aspiring writer out there or someone interested in writing out there who's never done a workshop before and who's considering one? I mean, I was that person a year ago, and I came to my first writing conference like not even knowing what to expect. And I would say that it's really, it's almost necessary, you know. And I, I can, and even if like even if you don't, you know, uh, you're not interested in other people's feedback too much, or whatever. Just the just being around people who actually care about this craft, who dedicate their lives to it, some of whom have been extremely successful with it. Just being in a, in a space where you're talking about it as if it mattered, just the environment of like 
to have a place and a community of people who share respect for this strange thing that you do, arranging words on paper, um, it's just extremely encouraging and and can stoke your fire uh, really, really well. And that's how that's what I found. So I, I wouldn't even hesitate if you if you hear of a an author you like that's given a workshop. I mean, writing by writers. What's cool for me is that. I can kind of use use Pam's organization as just a filter of like, hey, this is going to be high quality. I don't need to go like do a lot of research on a bunch of different stuff. Like this, this is going to be great authors and great discussions and, and a great experience overall. Fantastic. Well, cool, man. I really appreciate you taking the time and chatting a little bit. All right, Ben. Thank you. Coming up. Brittany Erickson Tuttle talks about the impact the elections had on her writing life. And Andre Debuse III talks about the need for a solid foundation, chapter by chapter. But first, today's episode is brought to you by Talking Book, the modern audiobook publisher. Are you an author? Do you want to turn your book into the fastest growing medium in publishing? All you have to do, go to talkingbook.pub. They produce, distribute, and promote radical audiobooks for amazing authors and respected publishers. Audiobooks like the sharp comic novel Sophia by Michael Bible, or the contemporary Slice of Music and Mayhem F-250 by Bud Smith. Here's the thing. People want to listen to your book. You're listening to this podcast. It's a fact. Go to talkingbook.pub and join the audiobook revolution today. Writer Brittany Erickson Tuttle recorded memos throughout the Tamales Bay workshop, and you'll hear excerpts from those as well as segments from our follow-up chat. And excuse the wind noise in this short opening of our chapter two, a word that describes writing. Hey, Ben. It's Brittany. On Wednesday night when we introduced ourselves, was Pam asked us to say a word that describes writing for us. And the word I said was tough, but the word I really wanted to say was disillusioned. I feel really disillusioned with the whole process at this point. I have not gotten as far with my writing career as I imagined I would at the age of 35. And I I love writing, but you do start to wonder, uh, there's no certainties in it. You don't know if what you're writing is good. You don't know if you like it. Sometimes you do and sometimes you don't. So that's where I was coming into this workshop. But it's beautiful up here. I'm at the top of a hill watching fog roll in across the bay, taking a little breather. That's gorgeous. Now that it's been not quite a month since Writing by Writers, Tamales Bay 2016, it seemed to me, by listening to your voice memos that you sent, a relatively rough four days and I'm wondering how you feel like now that there's been some time and distance since then we've had the election of all elections yeah the election really threw a wrench in in my life and my my writing life and it kind of made everything else that happened before that seem less important including having a tough workshop well I think what has happened since the workshop is that I just have been able to integrate the feedback I got and process it and realize that, you know, it's, it's not the end of the world that I wrote one short story that didn't go over well. And it's just one short story and it doesn't speak to my, you know, the entirety of my writing career. And, and I thought, well, maybe I should only write 
not politically necessarily, but personal essays that deal with the political now. But then I also started thinking, if we're facing really dark times that some of us are afraid we're facing, I think art and writing is actually really important. They help us. And it's funny because the night of the election, the night before, I tweeted out an Ada Limon poem. I think I mentioned it. It was called How to Triumph Like a Girl. Both Tony and Brittany spoke highly of Tamales Bay faculty and award-winning poet Ada Limon's reading at the conference. And just to confirm, writing by writers attendees are divided by genre and also writing level into small workshop groups of approximately 10, each led by a faculty member. In this case, Paul Lasicki for Tony, Pam Houston for Brittany, but since each faculty participates in a panel and also gives a reading, the entire group gets exposed to all the faculty. So here's what Brittany recorded the night after hearing Ada Limon's reading. She gave just an incredible reading, blew us all away. Um, I had not been familiar with her work before, although I had heard of her, and she was such a bright and full presence on the stage. And then her poems were gorgeous, and then after she uh, gave a reading, she took questions. I think somebody asked her how does she choose what details to put on the page, And she said that she asks herself, what does she need to receive? What does she, as the writer, need to hear right now? What poem does she need right now? And I thought that was a really beautiful way to look at it. Sometimes I ask myself, what should be said or what might the reader want to hear? But I I just loved that idea of asking yourself what you need to receive because I think there's a really good chance that what you need to hear deeply in your heart is probably what other people need to hear as well. Brittany has a history of listening to her heart. She self-published her novel Angel Food back in 2014 after pursuing the traditional publishing route. And of course, I asked her, what the novel's about. It is about a family of four adult siblings who spend their lives traveling around the country in an airstream on the run from murderous angels who are trying to kill the younger sister. That is a heck of a premise. Wow. <laughs> I loved writing it. I, It was such a great writing experience. It came to me really easily. It was really fun to write. And I chopped it around a little bit, didn't get... I sent it to other agents, trying to get an agent, didn't get any positive response. Nobody wanted to see it. So I decided that I believed in it anyway, and I published it myself. It was the kind of thing that was hard to put in a genre box, you know, but I believed in it. I believed in the story. So I self-published it two years ago. When you were in that decision process of... I've got a manuscript. I'm really proud of it. I want to get it published. But what made you ultimately decide to just buck the traditional and and publish it yourself? I had queried agents on a book I had written before Angel Food, and I had gotten several requests to see the manuscript for that first book, and uh, nobody ended up offering to represent it ultimately. And then I kind of shelved that, wrote Angel Food, When I was querying Angel Food, nobody even asked to see it. Uh, The premise just wasn't, you know, sparking for anybody. But I, I really believed in the story. I really loved it. 
to give myself some freedom, I decided I would publish it myself. And that way I'm in charge of what I put out there. And it was similar to blogging. You write something and you put it out there. There's no, there's no publisher or agent in between you and the reader. So I was used to that. And, uh, you know, it was great. It was great to have it out there and have people read it and get some, some good responses. It was wonderful. And to wrap up chapter two, Here's another commonality that I've experienced myself and echoed by both Tony and Brittany. What really stood out to me in the workshop was how much hearing other people's hearing other people's stories workshopped was really helpful to me and applied to me. Pam said that she sees writers over and over get to a point in their career where they stop striking the pose and walk into themselves. They stop trying to impress others and just step fully into their voice and who they are. And I just thought, how can I get to that point? Yeah, yeah. Fantastic. Thank you for sharing that. That's great. Well, have a great Thanksgiving with the family. Yeah, thanks, Ben. Thank you so much for having me do this. And here we are, chapter three. This whole thing is deeply mysterious. Teacher and award-winning writer Andre Debuse III has also danced between memoir, fiction, and short stories. His latest book, Dirty Love, is a haunting, thought-provoking collection of four loosely linked novellas. And his book before that was Townie, a memoir about growing up in the violence and emotional vacuum after his dad, writer Andre Debuse II, left the family. I'm with Andre Debusa III, Metal Valley, Washington State. We're stunning, stunning view of the Cascade Mountains. We're here in a workshop environment, and you, you do these kind of things all over the country, uh, all around the world. You made a comment about sharing until you feel like you have a solid draft, and here we are in an environment where you're getting works in progress, and I'm wondering just how you rationalize that on the teaching side versus that as, uh, when, for your own self as a writer. Yeah. Well, f- first, I, I tell my, my, my workshop participants and my students at the university that I prefer them to show up with completed drafts, but I find a way to protect their process. It's the process I'm trying to protect. Look. My metaphor, and forgive me, but I do believe that when a when a male or female writer is writing a story or a novel or a poem or what have you, that you're pregnant with it, the way a real woman's pregnant with a real baby. That these this thing is built is is growing inside you in a private dark place. And, you know, and literally, it's your psych- it's your psyche and your imagination, your subconscious, and and I think it's best left that way until it you've got a draft. You know, baby's out now. Let's see how healthy it is, and so. Yeah, my, that's why I have never been able to share work in progress. I mean, I've been with the same woman for 28 years. My wife, Fontaine, she's a beautiful dancer, choreographer, painter. I trust her judgment implicitly. She's always my first reader. But, you know, I'm in my fourth year on a new novel. She doesn't know one thing about it, and nobody does. And, and I find that that works better for me. And I do try to share with my, the writers with whom I work, especially here at Metal Valley this week, that they might try that. And that's one of the dangers of, of, of being a part of a writing group or... Uh, an MFA program or, or going to too many conferences is look you must cultivate as a writer the ability to swim underwater for long periods of time with nobody paying attention man I think it's really important to build that muscle. Ron Carlson's been talking a lot this week about in both workshop and just to the group about the importance of giving your character an occupation mm-hmm. and we look at Dirty Love and we mm-hmm. look at these four 
these four stories and occupation is so rooted in all four uh, of, of your protagonists, starting with our, our senior project manager, Mark Welch. And I think I'd read that these four stories were written a decade apart. That's close. The Bartender and Marler were written a decade apart. Yeah, one in 99, one in 2005. Yeah, and then the last two, 10 years, yeah, they were all kind of written within a 15, 18 year period, separately, yeah. Was there a, either on your end or on the publisher's end to get a collection of four uh, to, to round out this? or how? Well, no, you know how it happened was, I'm a huge, I'm glad you asked because I get to mention Jim Harrison, you know, who we lost last month. He was one of my favorite American writers, you know, and he's not just a prose writer, but a poet, fine, fine poet. And But he specialized in the novella form. He has many collections of three sets of novellas. You know, I think his first was Legends of the Fall. So frankly, I had listen carefully as our options have not changed, and then I had Marla and the bartender. I thought, well, those are my three long stories, novella-ish length. I, maybe this will be a book. And I s sent it to my editor, and she said, she said some nice things. She said, no, but I feel like there's one more that needs to go in. And it's it's I had a very strange thing happen, but it's quite beautiful in terms of this whole writing thing being larger than the writer, you know, and that's what I try to communicate at these conferences is that I think it's a, I think the writing is larger than the writer and it's an act of humility to create these things. So anyway, as soon as you said, no, man, I just think it needs one more, I immediately began to sense almost like, you know, when you remember a fragment of a dream, like eight hours into the next day and mm -hmm. it just totally surprises you. I began to sense an older man and a young girl or young woman, like 17 or 18, I, I knew they lived in the same house. I knew they loved each other very much, and there's nothing creepy going on. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know who they were or why they were living together. And I, and I, you know, instead of being depressed that my editor didn't think I had a book on my hands, I hung up and got right to work, and I wrote the... Uh, the title story, Dirty Love, you know, from two points of view of the old man, Francis, the young girl, Devin. And that came very fast. Mm. A again, this whole thing is deeply mysterious. You know, one of the dangers of fine art instruction is that you run the risk of demystifying something that I think is essentially very mysterious. It is mysterious why one set of characters knocks on your brain, your brain pain and not mine, etc. So with well, another thing my editor said was, she said, you know, that a lot of these characters are in the same towns and some are actually even working in the same places. And I didn't notice that. Oh, really? and, I, and, I, and I wrote them years apart. So again, this whole notion of, of writing is an act of excavation. Yeah. It's, like, it's like, you know, you're an archaeologist and over here it looks like a vase. No, it's a dome. Oh, actually, it's the top of a building. Oh, look, three years later we find the steps. <laughs> I love the fact that, especially with uh, the bartender and, and Dirty Love, that Devin has a very creepy feeling about Robert and, and he had noticed, yeah. you know, just that that little little glimpse to the other story and, and the links between all four of them is just yeah, masterful. Here's the thing. I do want every sentence to sing. I do want the prose to be beautiful, but that's not the main thing that concerns me as I'm finding the story. I must believe that what happened in chapter one really happened before I can write chapter two. I must believe everything that's happened either in, in the interior of the characters on the, or the exterior before I s take a s next step forward. Or I'm walking on thin ice, I'm, I'm on false ground. And, you know, it feels like, especially novels, it, it feels like you're 
constructing a house of cards and the windows open and there's a breeze mm -hmm. and man you don't want to have a 40 story house of cards and stories 9 through 12 are totally false mm -hmm. the whole thing's coming down so I do rewrite for truth as I go on that note Andre Dubuse III thank you thank you so much thank you Ben brother it's been a pleasure again happy 2017 and thanks for listening to episode 17, Workshop Diaries, the last episode of season two. Season three will start back up in late February. Warm thanks to Brittany Erickson Tuttle and Tony Pandola for sharing their workshop experiences, and to Andre DeBuse III for making the time to chat in and around his teaching. And don't forget, you can submit to the short, short writing contest at wxw.submittable.com and explore publishing your own audiobook at talkingbook.pub. You can always find me on Twitter and Instagram at Ben Hess and also at Story Geometry on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for listening.